with that in mind, you may be seated as our pastor brings us the word. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Um, told the first service, uh, the first time I heard that song, youth meeting, and when you get to the chorus, <laughs> you went, and I ran out of that grave. And so all the teenagers are jumping up and down. It's absolutely amazing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> absolutely amazing. Um, when it comes to the resurrection, uh, there should be some type of excitement about that, right? That you ran out of the grave, ran out of the grave. Can I have a little more light in the room? So I can see, ran out of the grave, right? Right? So you, you, didn't, you didn't teenager it. Right? You didn't crawl out of the grave. You didn't, you know, have your walker out of the grave. You, you ran out of the grave because something significant happened on that day, and that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, yeah, I think the teenagers have it right. Ran out of that grave. Yeah. If you're into jumping, anyway, there you go. Um, how many of you like Cracker Barrel? Go to Cracker Barrel? Like Cracker Barrel? Good. I'm glad. First service, I don't know, either people were lying to me or there's about 45% of the people that don't like Cracker Barrel, which is, right? Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you like Cracker Barrel? I, I, think it's, I think it's a good thing. But maybe they did like Cracker Barrel and maybe they didn't want to raise their hand because then that would be Pentecostal and we're Baptist and maybe, maybe, maybe that was it. But nonetheless, you know, there was a certain amount of them that didn't like Cracker Barrel. I'm petitioning them to change the name of Cracker Barrel because if we're going to be woke, we might as well just take care of that too. So... <clears throat> So Cracker Barrel. Anyway, uh, in in nineteen no not in twenty seventeen, uh, I ran across an article about Brad. Actually, it wasn't an article. I saw a Facebook post about Brad and Brad's wife that had worked for Cracker Barrel for eleven years was fired. And not only was she fired, she was fired on Brad's birthday. And so Brad posted that on the Cracker Barrel Facebook page. And what happened, has anybody ever heard of this before? Yet yeah, some people have, I'm, I'm sure. Because what happened was there was an influx of people commenting to rehire Brad's wife. In fact, it became a hashtag. It went to Twitter. There were all kinds of people. The, um, the New York Times picked up the story. Other news sources picked up the story about Brad's wife and Cracker Barrel not commenting on why she was fired and the, and the whole deal. It was it was pretty epic. It was pretty an epic moment for, for Brad's wife, who, as of 2021, 20, still isn't working for Cracker Barrel. Which, if you think about this, if you were fired from Cracker Barrel and they didn't want you, I'm, I'm not sure... Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I'm not sure you'd want back. But Brad wanted to know why. And... He wanted Cracker Barrel to come out. Well, Cracker Barrel never said why they fired uh, his wife, never publicly made a statement, nothing like that. And really, Brad and his wife really should be thankful that they didn't because why was she fired? Like, was it because, I'm just making this up, I don't know. Was it because she took money out of the register and was sticking it in her pocket? And after 11 years, they caught her? 
And if they posted that, what would that do for future job opportunities for her? Was she just not a nice person in there? Maybe she hit one of the customers. Maybe she tripped them on the way out. Maybe she, I don't know. I don't know what she could have done to get fired from Cracker Barrel. It must have been something pretty significant. Maybe she wasn't showing up for work. We don't know, but you really don't want that <clears throat> to be placed on social media where, where your secrets about what you were doing wrong is posted on social media that would kind of go against you getting another job. Do you know what I mean? You don't want that to be public. So at this point in the sermon, I just want to say, be careful, be careful what you put on Facebook. Right? Be, be careful what you put on Facebook. There's some things that maybe we shouldn't put on there, but Brad wanted that. Um, do you know that in Cracker Barrel, in every Cracker Barrel across the United States of America, when you walk into their, um, their store and you look at all the signs that are on the wall, you've seen the signs and the stuff that they hang, there is always one sign that is hung upside down in every single store that they had. So the one in Clemens has one. The one in uh, <coughs> Kernersville has one. I know where both of those are. Now you know I do not have a life. Right? So when you're in Cracker Barrel, you can look for a sign upside down. And really, to me, it's a lot of fun just to look for it. So if we're, if we're on vacation somewhere and we stop at a Cracker Barrel, I like to just walk around the store and look for the sign that is upside down and see if I can find it. And it's, it's pretty entertaining for me because, like I said, I, I really don't have a life. So that's the kind of stuff that I get a kick out of. But if you have kids, that's something cool to do because sometimes you wait at Cracker Barrel for 45 minutes, 50 minutes, and Checkers gets old, right? And the toys that you're not really supposed to play with but everybody play with over in Virus Corner right, and touching, they're, they're playing with it, so you, you can go around and you can look for that. So it, it's a secret, and it's really a lot of fun, especially when you find it. For me, when I found it, I was like, wow, that's where it is. That's, there's not many people that know this, and then I know where the upside-down sign is. <clears throat> Once I find the sign, I often walk up to employees just to see if they know about it, which sometimes is very awkward. There isn't signs upside-down Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And then she asked her manager. It gets confirmed, and there's an number. Anyway, doesn't matter. Nonetheless, next time you go to Cracker Barrel in Clemens, try to look for the upside-down sign. Now, with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. <clears throat> and we're going to read verse 18 this morning. So Psalm 119, verse 18. And this is what it says. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Wondrous things out of your law. Wondrous. It's an interesting word choice for this scripture. Wondrous things out of your law. Is there really wondrous things that are contained in the scripture? Like, would make you stop and say, wow, that is absolutely amazing. Is there stuff in scripture like that? And the psalmist here would say, yes, wondrous things out of your law. Now, a definition for wonder is this. 
A feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. So the psalmist is sitting here saying, hey, show me, open my eyes and show me wonderful things, things that would surprise me from the word of God, from your word, from your law. Show me something that I can admire from your word, Lord. I'm looking for something else to admire. I already have some stuff, but I would like to have some more. And it's his desire to have more of this. Um, I want to see something beautiful in your word. I want to see something unexpected in your word. I want to see something unfamiliar in your word. I want to see something in your word. I want to have a moment where I'm in scripture and I'm in, in my day thinking about it, meditating on it to where I'm like, oh my goodness, that is amazing. I just saw that in scripture and there it is right there. Or something in scripture that connects with something else that I've never seen before. I want to see that. Now, the person that wrote Psalm 119 <clears throat> has put together absolutely a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece of literature in Scripture. It, it is very well structured. For instance, Psalm 119 in your Bible, you can see the different um, Hebrew letters and different sections that those Hebrew letters uh, contain, like verses 1 through 8 is Aleph, and 9 through 16 is Beth, and 17 through uh, 24 is Gimel. So you, you've got the letters of the alphabet, and you have 22 sections, because you're 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and you have 22 sections for 176 verses. Now, these sections all start with the letter of that particular alphabet, that section. For instance, the first section, which is Aleph, it starts with the letter A, what would be our letter A. And Beth, it would start with the letter B. Now, in, in English, you can't see this, but in Hebrew, you can. And Gimel is the same way. Let me sh show it to you um, a little bit a different way. Um, long before you had verses in your Bible, I don't know if you know how verses came to be in your Bible, but there was a committee, a church committee, <laughs> that met together in 300 AD. And they sat down and they said, okay, what we need to do is we need to split up these verses so people can find them while we're teaching. Isn't that a great idea? So today I can say Psalm 119 verse 18, you can go right there because someone decided to structure it that way. Well, long before that, Psalm 119 was written and within it is verses already there. The verses are already laid out. So long before they decided to put a number to it, God and the writer made lines and verses so that you could go to a certain portion of 119. Let me show you what it is in our section today, verses 17 through 24. This is what it looks like. So <clears throat> the first verse, verse 17, is gamol, it's deal bountifully. Verse 18 is gal, which is open. Um, the next verse is gur, which is stranger. The next verse is garshash, which is breaks. And Gartata, which is uh, rebuke, and Gal, which is remove, and then Gam, which is also, and Gam, which is also. If you notice, each one of those verses start with the letter Gimel. So on the, on the right-hand side, if you're looking on the right-hand side, you have Gimel, 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 Gimel. It all starts with the same Hebrew letter. This is how 119 is structured. So Aleph has eight verses that start with Aleph. 
in each of the eight verses. And Beth, which starts with Beth, has eight verses that starts with the letter Beth. And when you get to Gimel and so on and so forth, it starts with that letter. Eight times, it starts with these letters. So the masterpiece is not only did they have sections that started with the different letters of the alphabet, but also each one of the verses start with that same letter. Now, this is absolutely amazing. If, if you are sitting here not really amazed by this, you might, creativity might not be your thing. This is an amazing, creative piece of work. And something very intelligent is going on here. It is, it is structured in just an amazing way. And it's eight. Eight letters for 176 verses. In the 176 verses... The Bible is mentioned in 173 of those verses. Now, it's referenced in eight different ways. Let me give them to you. The Bible. The different words he uses for the Bible. It's word, law, statutes, commandments, judgments, precepts, testimonies, and ways. So you have this eight thing going on as well, even with how he references Scripture. It's... Pretty incredible how all this fits together. Now, how many of you are familiar with the term Easter eggs that aren't at Easter but are in movies? Yeah, several people. Some people are. What an Easter egg is, for those of you who don't know, is um, it, it's something that's placed in a film that references or nods to another film or another story or something in in, uh, in the culture, okay? So here is a movie. It's Indiana Jones. This was in 1981. This movie is 40 years old. And long before Easter eggs were the popular thing, popular thing to look up on Google, because in, I don't know if you know this, but in 1981, there wasn't a Google. There was an internet, but it wasn't like what we have today. It was it, it, all these noises and stuff. It was really really different, let's just say. <clears throat> but before you could Google and do all this kind of stuff, the, the movie makers were putting Easter eggs into films. And so this one, Indiana Jones, has an Easter egg, and I'll tell you what it is. It is R2-D2 and C-3PO. It's in that picture right there. So if you look on the hieroglyphics, almost didn't say that correctly, hieroglyphics, may not have said it correctly. I may have said it Southern. So you hieroglyphics on this side, you have the snake. If you go down one, you'll see C3PO and R2D2 on the hieroglyphics in that shot. Do you see it yet? You see them? It's a robot. This is a 1981 pointer. <laughs> yeah, it's one down. Like you have the two flags right at the uh, Right at the snake, and then right below it is, is R2-D2 and C-3PO. They're standing side by side. That's not the only place in Raiders of the Lost Ark where there is an Easter egg like this. Um, there's a point where uh, Indiana Jones, at the end of the movie, is going to blow up the Ark with a, right, a bazooka. It's going to blow it up with a bazooka. And in that shot, to his left, is this little slanted 
area, and that is exactly where R2-D2 and A New Hope went down. It's the same location. Yeah. I, I can see some of you are amazed, and some of you are like, where in the world is this going? And what, what is he talking about? But we're here. We're going to have to endure this. Nonetheless, there's Easter eggs. And sometimes when you, find, when you found stuff like that, like in the 80s and the 90s, it was a pretty big thing. Now you have YouTube that shows you all of them. And it seems that people are now writing not necessarily um, a script that has like a, a plot and a meaning, but they're writing things just to put Easter eggs in so that people will look for them. That's kind of the difference in the writing today as it was, you know, even like three or four years ago. But that said, here's what uh, the psalmist that wrote Psalm 119 says. He says this, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure or one who finds Easter eggs. Things that connect that I didn't realize connected until this moment when I'm reading this particular scripture. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Some translations say, as one who finds great spoil or, or, or something of immense value that I really want and that I really think is amazingly significant. So he's saying that scripture has treasures and you just have to look for them. They have treasures and you look for them. So verse 18 says, open my eyes. That particular word for open my eyes means uncover and let me hear a secret. Let me see a secret that is in your word. Now, you and I do this at a different level. You know, something happens to someone. We see a post or a picture on Instagram, or, or something comes to us through social media, and we're like, oh my goodness, something's happened to them. And so what we do is we either call them on the phone, or we text real quick, oh, I saw this on Facebook. What is, what really happened? You know, we, we get on the phone. If you're ordering, you get on the phone and say, hey, I saw this on, what is the down and dirty? What really happened to you? I want to know what is behind whatever you posted on Facebook, Twitter, or whatever. I just want to know what is happening. Or we hear something. We say, oh, I know that person. I'm going to call them, and I'm going to figure out the secret. Like, we, we get into that, right? Oh, don't lie to me. <laughs> don't lie to me. If something happens to a president that you don't like, I guarantee you, you go after the truth. What happened? What did he do? What did he say? Or a president that you like. Oh, what did he do? What did he say? We all do this, and we all have this, like, I want to find it. I want to find the secret. This is the same word. Open my eyes. I want to see the secret. Except you're not going after gossip. You're not going after some type of information that nobody else has. What you're going after is some truths in Scripture that God has hidden from people. Because he is hidden. He doesn't show you everything at one time. He gives it to you over a period of time, and he does it so that not only you can learn it, but you can stop a moment and wonder and experience the truth that you just learned. So he opens your eyes. So to kind of demonstrate this, I asked a pastor friend of mine who <clears throat> had a little conversation with him this week, and I asked him to 
make a one-minute video just to talk about something in the Bible that brings him wonder, okay? So here is his video. His name is Sam, Pastor Sam. Hi, this is Pastor Sam from First Baptist Blendingboro, North Carolina. I just want to share with you for about a minute about the wonder I have for Revelation chapter 21. The first half of this chapter speaks about how all things are made new. There will be nothing in the new heaven, new earth that is not completely new. Also, our bodies paid by the blood of Jesus. We will experience glorified bodies with no infirmities, no cancer, uh, no imperfection at all. We will enjoy perfection for all of eternity. Uh, but also in this chapter, it talks about the scenery of what this new heaven and earth looks like. Most of us think of gold uh, in the new heaven and new earth, and there will be gold. But it will be purified gold, as clear as glass. You can imagine uh, what it will look like, the beauty and the shine and the, just the glory that this new heaven and earth will look like. But also my favorite part uh, in this chapter is when it talks about there will be no need for the sun, no need for stars, no need for a light bulb, no need for light at all. Because God will light, he will illuminate this new heaven and new earth but also because we as believers in Christ will have glorified bodies in Jesus. We also will illuminate this new heaven and new earth. So it just leaves me in wonder because we cannot fully comprehend on this side of earth until we get there and we see Jesus face to face. And it's all because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you and God bless. All right, so he's, he's really excited about those truths. He is. I, I, I've talked to him personally. He's really excited about those. Um, this demonstrates a couple of things. First of all, the reason that you and I miss wonders is because we line them up and we do this one, this one, this one, and this one, and we never just stay on one. Like in a one-minute period of time, I'm not criticizing him at all. I'm glad he did it. It's, it's amazing. That's not my point, so don't read that into it. What he did was he had this point, this point, this point, and once you have three points that you're trying to get your mind wrapped around, you miss the wonder of at least two of those points, right? Now, Sam, if he was here today, would tell you the point that meant the most to him is the point that in heaven, you do not need sun, stars, or a light bulb, which I think is funny. I think he... I think it was funny that you didn't think that was funny. Like the difference between sudded stars and a light bulb, right? Right? That you would turn on and off, or if you're from the south, cut on. Like I'm, I say that all the time, but how do you cut something on? Have you thought about that? We cut. We're going to cut on the light. You don't cut on the light. Every time you cut something, it, it doesn't matter. So what he is amazed with here is he's amazed with the fact that there's no need for the sun, though it's going to be there in the new heaven and new earth. There's no need for the stars, though it's going to be there in the new heaven and new earth. Light bulbs are debatable, but in heaven... God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And not only was he amazed by that, he's amazed by the fact that you and I, as believers, are going to shine forth God's glory. That means we are shining forth light. So in heaven, it made me think, are there shadows? 
No. Because God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You see, we, we have shadows here. Are my eyes covered? This is called raccoon eyes. Like if, you, if your face is illuminated with the lighting in the room, you see this, and this is called ra- raccoon eyes. Now tell me when you no longer see the raccoon eyes. About right here? Right? My whole face is illuminated. Guess what? In heaven, there is no raccoon eyes. None at all. There's no darkness. There's no nothing. It's constant shining. And you get to tan all day long without suntan lotion. Like you don't have to rub yourself. You're not running to Walmart. Oh, I ran out of the spray tan. I've got to go to Walmart. And you don't go to Walmart and kind of lather up to be in the presence of God. No, you don't do that because you are also part of the light. So let's say for a moment that you go to earth. You're not exactly out of the presence of God, but you go to earth and you go into a cave. It's born in a cave. You don't even have to have a flashlight to go into the cave. All right, is everybody tracking? Because you are shining forth the glory of God, you are part of that light. If you let that soak a little bit, that's a pretty amazing thought and a pretty amazing concept. Ladies, your skin will not need Olivelay. Makeup, eyeliner, Guys, we don't have to grow beards to cover up the ugly. I mean, it it is just going to be beautiful. It is just going to be absolutely amazing. So, So you slow down. In Scripture, you slow down and you think about something for a while. And don't stack stuff on top of each other because that muddies the water. Hit one thing and think about that one thing and the implications of it. And it will lead you to the wonder of the Bible and the wonder of its teaching. All right, here's another one. This is from somebody that you probably know. His name is Steve Hungerford, and this is what he says. So here's the deal. When I was younger and someone would bring up God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 15, 5, which says, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Well, I would think to myself, stars of the heaven, there aren't that many. I mean, Alexa, how many stars in the Big Dipper? Here's something I found on the web. According to reference.com, the Big Dipper consists of eight stars. So eight stars in the Big Dipper, and the Little Dipper has seven. So that's like 15 stars, and that takes up a whole huge section of the sky. I even counted the stars once. 2,412 is all I counted. And even if I missed half of them, that's still like 5,000 stars. I can number that. What kind of promise is that to Abraham? But then I ended up going to the Navajo Indian Reservation in 1993 on a mission trip in the middle of nowhere, Arizona. And all the lights were out, no moon in the sky, and I look up and I see this white wispy cloud in the night. I'm like, what is that? Again, not being the uh, brightest bulb in the tool shed, I thought, huh, 
What is that? Then it hit me, the Milky Way. Now that's a lot of stars. And that's what Abraham would have seen. So when you think about Genesis 15:5, make sure you think Milky Way, not the Big Dipper. So here's what happened. <clears throat> he had a truth that he learned a long time ago, and he looked up in the skies, and he thought, oh, Big Dipper, Little Dipper, not that many people, 2,500, probably 5,000 people. It's not that big of a promise. Later in life, in 1973, when he went out and he actually saw the Milky Way, he thought, oh, that's what that promise meant. I don't know if you know this, but there's over a billion stars in the Milky Way of what we can see, and that's only a fraction of the stars that is up there. So when you look up in the stars, as Abraham did, and you see that, you're like, oh my goodness, he is going to have that many offspring? There's going to be that many people? And the answer to that question is, yeah, he is. And it makes you wonder. It makes you stop and go, wow, that, that is quite the promise. And we can see here on earth that currently there is hardly anywhere that we go anyway, where you don't run into a Jew. You realize that, right? If you don't believe me, go to New York City. Right? They're all, they're all over the place. So, so that promise, God has kept. So then there's me, <clears throat> okay? And it, <laughs> you, you don't understand how much it pains me to do this right now. Um, I am working on a sermon for next year that has to do with the information I'm about to give you. And I normally just like to keep this nugget with myself until next year and then bring it out a year later after it, I've mulled over it a little while and, and bring it out. So, so it really, it irritates me a little bit. It frustrates me a little bit that to do this, but I know that this is what I'm supposed to do today. Okay. Are, are you with me? Right? So, so this week, <clears throat> I was looking in Scripture, and I was reading through Acts chapter 2, because that's where we're going to be in about a year. So Acts chapter 2, and um, the apostles are standing before a group of people, and they're proclaiming the gospel. And on that day, Scripture says that 3,000 people received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. This is something I've known for a very long period of time. 3,000 people still brings me a sense of wonder. 3,000 people in one day. And there wasn't anybody over the side, on the side saying, well, were they really saved? Did they really mean it? No, there was nobody like that because this was brand new. So 3,000 people received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Well, a couple of days later, Peter preaches the gospel. He says, Jesus Christ died on the cross he was placed into a tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And you can accept him as your Savior today. You can ask forgiveness for your sins, and you can ask him to be your Savior today. From that message, 5,000 people received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Okay, again, I know that happened. Every time I read that, it's an amazing thing to me. I'm in awe that that actually occurred. And so you have 5,000 plus 3,000, which equals 8,000. 8,000 people in a week's time 
receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, if that was to happen in Davie County at Farmington Baptist Church, we would have an issue. It would be a great issue to have, but we would have to figure out what to do with all these people. Like 8,000 people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior is an amazing amount of people. And I am absolutely, there's a wonder to that every time I read it. But this is where I got to in my studies this week, okay? You have these 3,000 people that received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior on the first day, right? There was nobody, nobody in that city that said, wait a minute, I don't know what you guys are smoking, but I can take you to the tomb and show you his body. There was nobody that walked up to those 3,000 people to say, hey, come with me. I know where he's buried. This is his body. This is the tomb. He is here. You are smoking something. You need to watch what you believe. I am fact-checking this. I'm fact-checking this. And this right here, this tomb, this is Jesus. You can see all the blood and the scars and everything. He is laying right here where we left him. And, and this is hogwash. It didn't happen. 5,000 people received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now we have 8,000 people. And in that group of people, there was nobody. Nobody that said, hey, hey, you idiots. You whatever political group you want to say, right? You morons. I, the tomb is right here. Come here. Just come here. I don't have a phone to take a picture of it. Come here. We're going to watch it and see it right here. And here's the body. Here's the tomb. The tomb is not empty. These people are lying to you. Do not believe that. There was nobody in the city that said that. Nobody. See, up until this point in time, I was really content with 500 people seeing Jesus and saying that they saw him post-resurrection and having their testimony. But this week, <clears throat> I got to think, hey, wait, this is Jerusalem. This is where Jesus died. This is where he was buried. They know where the tomb is, and nobody said, hey, come follow me. Y'all are idiots. You shouldn't listen to them. They didn't do it because, ladies and gentlemen, they couldn't do it. The tomb was empty. And it wasn't going to be some picture on Instagram. It wasn't going to be something on the internet. Physically, if you went to the tomb, it was empty because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So let's go a little step further. You know, the Pharisees, right, and the Sadducees and all those religious people that were telling Peter not to proclaim the message, do you know what they couldn't do? They didn't say, hey, Peter, come here, let me show you the tomb. Peter, come here, let me show you where his body is. Peter, let me show you that he is still dead. The reason that they could not do that is because the tomb was empty. The only thing the enemy could do was shut their mouths. Come on, church. The wonder of this is absolutely amazing. And I'm already secure in my faith, 
But when I started having those thoughts, hey, where are the people? Where are the 20,000 people in the city that could take this group of people to the grave and totally disprove this? Where are these people? They were not there because the tomb was empty. And today, Sunday morning, and I'm already secure in my faith. I don't know if you know that or not. I am more secure today because of that fact and that wonder. 8,000 people could not be proved wrong. And you know what happened? Those 8,000 people that knew that tomb was empty, that probably part of them went to see just to make sure. They couldn't say anything. They could not say it was empty. They went to their villages and their homes, and they told people about Jesus, about the death, burial, and resurrection, and they started the church. And it was a movement that has not been able to be stopped or slowed down and is the reason that you and I are here today. Come on. Wow. And the church is not going to be stopped tomorrow or the day after that or the day after that. Because it takes more than a virus, it takes more than politicians, it takes a lot more than this world can offer to stop the thing that Jesus Christ started. Amazing. So then I sit back and I think, why don't people accept Jesus? It's obvious. The evidence is just overwhelming that he existed and that the stories of the gospels are true. That he, through his love, died on the cross to shed his blood, taking your punishment for your sins so that you would not have to. And his love on the cross, taking that punishment, paid the price for your sins and he actually arose the third day so that you could have life and so that when you would go to his word, you would have experiences of wonder and amazement at the God that loves you so much, that loves you so much that he not only wrote the scriptures, but he came to save you from your sins. Wow. So, That was my moment this week. Um, Excuse me, 3,000 people. I have something to say. Can y'all follow me a moment? They couldn't do it. They could not do it. So, what do you do? When you look at Scripture, you pray, open my eyes. Open my eyes and see the secrets. You may be sitting here today and say, that guy is nuts. What I challenge you to do today is when you leave the building, is ask God to open your eyes so that you can see Jesus. Just do that. If you think I'm crazy, that's fine. I really don't care. Just ask that and see what happens. He will show you his son. I guarantee it. You slow down. You slow down with your scripture. Do I read the Bible through in a year? Absolutely. But I also have a moment every morning where I'm slowing down and I'm reading just a few verses of scripture to try to figure out what they say. I'm slowing down and I'm meditating and I'm trying to figure out how this works in life and and what wonder is there for me. 
Now, the wonders are on a scale. Sometimes they're little wonders. Sometimes they're big wonders. And I hate even to say that, but sometimes you're like, wow, that is amazing. And sometimes you're like, wow, I'm so thankful for that. Do you see what I'm saying? But you still go for those wonders, and you watch, and you listen, and you write stuff down. You write stuff down because a year from now, you want to remember it. A year from now, you want a moment where you go back through your book, and you're like, oh, I remember when I had that experience with the scriptures. I remember that wonder, and it's amazing how that wonder comes back to your soul. So you slow down, you meditate, you think, you pray, you ask God to open, and if, open your eyes. And if you do, you're going to feel like the psalmist. This is amazing. And if I have experienced this amount of wonders, there has to be more than that. And I want to see what else is in Scripture that will make me have a wondrous moment and connect me better to a God of wonder. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stage you've given us. We thank you for Psalm 119. We thank you for the wonder of Scripture. That's what I pray, Father. <clears throat> I pray that for everyone in this room, today as they leave and as they enter their week, on Monday, Tuesday, and they look at your scripture, I pray, Father, that you will open their eyes to what's there. I pray, Father, that this week you will give them a wondrous moment that they will be able to live in, that will change them, that will just bring them in awe concerning your word. I, I pray that you will do that for them. I pray that they will look for it. I think people in this room really want that. They really want to experience you. There's so many other things trying to get us to experience them, but the one thing that we should experience is your word and the truths that are in it. So show us, Father. Show us the treasures that are there. Help us put aside the different viewpoints that we might have. Help us to lay them aside and just put them aside and just see it with our own eyes as your living word speaks to our souls. So we leave all that into your hands, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing um, the song, I'm here today to pray for you. If you need that, the altar is also open. So as we